line. Are you on the line? I am here. Excellent. White hot rage. White hot rage. Oh, I know. So, uh, just to give everyone a heads up on what we're discussing, because it's kind of gnarly, um, we're going to be talking about abortion, abortion rights, where we are at as a country right now, and uh, where we've been in the past. And um, if this is a sensitive subject for you that um, maybe you need to step away and uh, listen to this a little bit later, we completely understand. Totally understand. And, um, but before we jump into that, uh, we have some uh, announcements from the Radio Free Brooklyn family. Uh, We are so happy uh, that you have tuned in to listen to us. And uh, we hope that you really enjoy it. We certainly enjoy doing it. Uh, but we are a nonprofit. And, uh, you know, I mean, we have some really wonderful grants from the city. Uh, but we could also always use a little bit more. Uh, so if you would like to support us, uh, please check out RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Uh, that will give you a little bit more information about our mission, how we give back to the community, and um, of course, uh, it'll set you up. You can either do a one-time donation or even uh, monthly if you're a dedicated fan. And uh, I can't emphasize this enough that every dollar counts, and we're so thankful for everyone who donates. So please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org/donate for more information. Um, All right, so we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Um, The news of the week is going to be pretty on topic because this past month has been... um, Harrowing. Yeah. Let's just say. Let's call it news of the month because this goes back a little while, and I know you and I have been talking about wanting to cover it. So it goes back to the beginning of May. Um, so, on May, should I just jump in? Yeah, so we're just going to do a rundown of all the anti-abortion laws that have been, um, hitting legislatures across the country. Yes, I mean, it's kind of a smack to the face. All right, so on May 7th, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill that would ban abortions if a fetal heartbeat can actually be detected. The legislation says that no abortion is authorized or shall be performed um, if the unborn child has been determined to have a heartbeat. Now, this one includes some exceptions, uh, particularly to the the physical harm to the mother. Mm -hmm. Three days later, a little bit of good news, a federal judge struck down the Kentucky abortion law that had been written in uh, in February, um, the federal judge struck it down and said that um, it would halt. The original legislation said it would halt any common second trimester procedures to, the preg- to end the pregnancy. Um, judge said it creates a substantial obstacle to women's rights, violating the Constitution of the United States privacy. Governor vows to appeal. So we can have uh, we can look forward to that. Okay, and and those right to privacy laws and 
the idea that um, it can't uh, provide it can't be in like an undue burden that goes back mm -hmm. to Roe v. Wade and other legislation decided by the courts, correct? Co correct. Got it. Which is, you know, like that's the whole broad stroke that we're going to cover today, mm -hmm. the Roe v. Wade. But, um, okay, so last week Mississippi passed an abortion bill that bans abortions after six weeks. And this is actually quite interesting. So the day the governor signed it, it's a 15-week it's a abortion ban called a heartbeat bill. The day the governor signed it, um, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood sued immediately. And Judge Reeves, Judge Carlton Reeves, who is one of my personal heroes this week, had some harsh words for the state because he had struck down the same law only 15 months earlier. Mm -hmm. So they're just going at it, just keep going, keep going. They're just, they're just keep going. So um, initially, when he saw it, when he struck it down, he called the restrictions gaslighting, which is interesting. Um, this time, he called it, uh, quote, it sure smacks of defiance to this court. Mm -hmm. So keep uh, Judge Carlton Reeves in your prayers if that is what you do, because he is he is uh, one of our champions. Now on Friday, Missouri passed a ban, uh, a fetal heartbeat ban, and it's this would make it the eighth state this year to pass abortion bans. Um, uh, again, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood saw, um, filed suits the same day, challenging, um, but we haven't had a decision on that one. And then earlier this week, uh, I couldn't remember the day, but Alabama legislatures voted to ban abortions in nearly all cases with no exceptions for the mother. Um, so... Alabama, it, it, uh, full abortion across the board. No mm -hmm. exceptions for the mother, no exceptions for safety. And um, again, the ACLU stepped in, filed a lawsuit challenging the ban. Again, no decision. But this one is in particularly interesting because they added 99 years in prison for the mother who received an abortion mm. because a lot of these laws are going after the doctors correct yeah so this right. is really escalating the issue it's escalating well last um last april ohio passed one um known as the human rights protection act outlawing abortions as early as five or six weeks into the pregnancy um which is you know these six weeks rules are What's so upsetting is that most women don't even know they're pregnant at that time, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, because you really don't know until you've, like, firmly <laughs> missed your period. Right. And right. they start so, counting by your last period. That's the thing that right. – sorry. <laughs> no, keep little. going. Keep going. So there's two things about these laws that make me see red besides, like, the obvious. And it is, it is so full of junk science. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one, this fetal heartbeat that everybody is talking about, 
Um, okay, so no one wants to just kill a baby, right? Like, that's not anything anyone in any situation, any sane person is going to want to do. Um, but first trimester abortions, the, the heartbeat that they're saying, that they're sensing, is basically just this cluster of nerves that is sending out magnetic vibrations. It's not even uh, pumping blood at that no, point. It can't yeah. be a heart. It's not a heart. <laughs> and I actually have a, a, heart, a heart has not actually formed. I actually have a quote um, from Jennifer Kearns, who's an OBGYN at UC San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is the director of research in obstetrics and gynecology at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. I guess Mark Zuckerberg has a hospital. Cool. Anyway, um, no, so. Make up for all the <laughs> privacy violations. So she said that this heartbeat is a group of cells with electrical activity. That's what the heartbeat is at the stage of gestation. We are in no way talking about any kind of cardiovascular system. And that's from an interview that she gave to Wired um, about some of these heartbeat bills and the Mm -hmm. science behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I really think that this is a very frightening trend that we're seeing. Um, Yeah, well, um, you know... Many opportunities to get on my goddamn soapbox here, but uh, it's a frightening. It, they most of the people, these you know, these, it's all a very uh, heavily what they call themselves Christian based. Um, they don't really believe in science anyway. Mm. You know, like Jesus walked with the dinosaur. <laughs> so, you, you, um, and. And I and I'm I can, I'm very worried that the general population of this country don't under like won't undertake research for themselves to find out what is actually going on here. Yeah, because the language um, twists everything just a little bit, and then they build on twisted language until finally the truth has been moved. <laughs> you know, or, or it's not even moved; it's just completely obscured. And then also with this idea of timing, of um, getting an abortion before the first six weeks. Now, the thing, so a lot of people say, oh, you have six weeks. How can you not tell? You get your your period once a month. Like, that should be plenty of time. So the way that doctors count when you are pregnant is the – They don't start, like, the night that you had sex or even, like, the whatever, like, contraception happens three or four days after after sex. No, it's – they go back to, um, like, the period before the one you missed. Yeah. You know? And so there's possibly four weeks or three weeks before you even – have sex to get pregnant before contraception. So then you only have two weeks before your time runs out. Yeah, they're completely guesstimating. Based on experience in science, to some degree, doctors, when you were when conception occurred. 
It's not like, you know, it's not like uh, a, a light bulb goes off in the woman's head and be like, ooh, pregnant tomorrow. Like, it, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then did you hear about that one, um, I think it was a state congressman who was talking about entopic pregnancies and said, well, why can't she just have surgery and replant it? And it's like, no, entopic pregnancies literally ruptures an organ and you die. <laughs> I did not hear that. <laughs> Sorry to. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! You're getting into like the alien situation when it comes to in topic. I know. I yeah, it's gonna bust out of your stomach with a top hat singing "Hello, my baby, hello, my darling." No, nope, nope. <laughs> oh my god! I need to make light because that's how I ma- manage to deal with these things. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, most of these bills also make no exceptions for the cases of rape or incest, which I also want to rage about a little bit here. That means that, um, you know, a 12-year-old girl who's impregnated by her stepfather who's been sexually abusing them for quite some time has to carry it to term. There's been some grumblings, too, about uh, uh, these, uh, you know, rapists and incest who are the father get to sue for parental rights. It's giving more power to the abuser. Yes. A lot more power. The the man. Let's be clear. The man. Hmm? Now, okay, so the ACLU also filed suit in Ohio. Judge was not so quick to smack it down, so we have to keep an eye on that one, too, um, Ohio and Kentucky. But so there are also similar bans pending in Texas and Oklahoma, uh, like full-on Alabama style. And then there's a heartbeat bill pending in Louisiana, Minnesota, which really fucking surprises me. I hate, like, what the hell, home state. Florida, Maryland, West Virginia, South Carolina, and Illinois. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of states. A lot <laughs> Which of brings states. me to another happy place, since we are in New York. Uh-huh. I'm going to, um, in Oops. February, arming New York against this wave of uh, abortion bans. Our Governor Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act, which codifies Roe v. Wade within the state laws already. And um, so if there's any, if Roe gets overturned, New York State stands alone. And we still have abortion rights here. We still have full-on abortion rights. And in in the same vein, they signed a uh, uh, protection for uh, birth control citing that um, any woman, all women have, this is their choice, and we will make sure that everybody's protected here. So and that happened in February. Like, right this, like, in response to what happened, you know, like all these threats, all the threats to, to post these bans happened, like, at the end of last year when Kavanaugh was appointed, right? Like, that's when... The GOP, like, rubbed their hands together and was like, okay, it's time to challenge Roe. 
And in a response to that, New York uh, codified it into our state laws. So, you know, take heed, New York women. We're going to be fine. Well, I also heard that Kansas, I think, um, is trying to pass an amendment, like a constitutional protection for abortion rights. Well, well, I would hope so, because I think that's where that... I think that's where that uh, years ago, remember that uh, abortion doctor got assassinated in the parking lot of his clinic. I think. Oh wow! Got got yeah. shot down by someone. Yeah, because yeah. they thought he was they thought he was uh, conducting third trimester abortions on like the reg, you know, like mm-hmm. as people as. As these people do, they believe that m- women are using abortion as birth control, and they wait till like the seventh month and go, you know what? I think I might. I don't want this kid, which is ludicrous. Yeah. Okay. So we're just gonna pause for a second and say that third trimester abortions, even like later second trimester abortions, are very, very rare. And a lot of them are women who want to have the baby that usually because of health reasons cannot, you yeah, know. their life is threatened or, or the baby or, is yeah. not going to be viable, out, you know. Like, they don't take that decision lightly. It's heartbreaking, you know. And, I mean, like, I've never read a single account or talked to a single person who had an abortion who was flippant about it? Everyone is like, you know, like it's surgery. It's invasive. Um, it can it's be insane. traumatizing. It's not something anyone wants to physically. go through. Right, right. Oh my God! I can't believe we're talking about this. Uh, we well, we have to. We have to. Oh, and then, um, let me see, Texas has a bill going through um, their Congress to allow the death penalty for patients who get abortions. Yep, uh, and and the doctors, I think, who perform them, too. I think Texas is particularly, well, you know, they're all, you know, they love the death penalty down there, <laughs> so that's not surprising. I had a choir uh, performance that was um, near the prison where all the death penalty, where all the the death penalties are performed. Yeah, and yeah, our our bus broke now? down in front of it actually. Oh, fun! <laughs> that was very yeah. exciting. But so police okay, helped so us this, real quick. So the, I, most of my sourcing stems from this uh, New York Times article that. This brilliant article um, that was posted on May 17th by KK Rebecca Lay, mm-hmm. and it and it's got this great graphic um, about most of the states and their abortion laws, and um, there's another graphic that goes back to 2011 about introduced, passed, introduced but not passed, introduced, struck down, instru- you know. So 2011 is when we've been they've been trying to like shove this down our throats and there's a graphic for every year and every year there's at least three states that try to pass something like this and i actually want to come back to that 
Okay. Um, because I'd like to talk a little bit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some of the things that she said about Roe v. Wade. Okay. Our favorite lady. I'm not quite sure if you'll agree with what she said, though. But anyway. Um, she Here's the thing, though. I don't care what she says about it. She has said in the past that it's been decided, and I'm not going to deal with it anymore. Yeah. Move on. Anyway, um, okay. so now that we have uh, understood, like, the risks that women around the United States are facing, do you want to go a little bit into the, the history of it? Sure. All right. So I think one of the reasons – so I'm going to go back a little bit further than I think most people do when they're talking about the history of abortion – I'm starting in the mid-1800s. I think that's great. I think origins are important. The reason why I'm starting there is because before that, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years, abortion was done. It was low-key, but it was acknowledged by society, you know, like a lot of real things. Yeah, yeah, like as a real thing. And, you know, back then they probably actually did kind of use it as birth control because the birth control that they did use were, like, herbs, and they didn't really know about estrogen, and uh, they... Uh, mercury inject, mercury baths and all kinds of weird things. But it's like women have always... Uh, their uh, quality of life is always centered around reproductive care um and their place in society has um been distinguished oftentimes by their ability to get this care and to make their own choices and to be uh independent uh (laughs) of the many financial burdens that are having like 10 children right um so like i just think it's important because these ideas and this whole, like, moral majority angle on abortion is very recent. This is something that culturally we can change. Uh, it is not, like, people, I think, believe that this has always been the case in America, and that is completely untrue. So. Woo. All right. <laughs> I have a, uh, I have a. Pour my, pour my cocktail. <laughs> Give it to me. So I have a sound effect for going back in time. Mm. All right. So I'm just going to set the stage. It is New York in the mid-1800s. You're a mother with eight kids, and you just can't do it again. I'm popping into my TARDIS. (laughs) You open the newspaper, and um, you, you see an ad for preventative powders. And uh, the the person selling it is this mysterious Madame Ristel. So you you contact her, and she gives you these little pills. Uh, they are made up of things like ergot, calomel, aloe, or black hellebore. Uh, these are all uh, natural. Um, what are they called? Abortive. They're they're natural uh, herbs that would cause an abortion. Mm-hmm. And um, so you would go to 
you would see these these ads just all over play all over the place in like the yellow pages basically um by abortionists who are granted like low-key but definitely very publicly advertising their wares uh i chose madame ristel because she is one of the more uh flamboyant and um well-known ones okay um but her story is one of many people many of these abortionists and so uh you know they would very publicly um, advertise using, um, you know, like a lot of allusions to what they're going to do for, uh, oh, God, what's the word for, um, like, delicate ears. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you, would, you would go, um, you know, if it's early enough, they would uh, try to uh, induce a miscarriage through basically poison. Um, but a lot of these women offering the services... Were, were, were trained medical professionals who could, to some degree, provide surgical abortions. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it certainly wasn't as safe as they are now, but it wasn't a coat hanger, you know? Right, yeah. And uh, you also had a real emphasis on midwives who were basically just like walking Planned Parenthood clinics. They would come to your house. They would talk to you about... Uh, using um, like calendar or something to track your cycle, they would. They had condoms at the time. Sometimes the midwives would be able to talk to you about that, you know. And then if you did get pregnant and you couldn't handle it, they would hope possibly connect you to the Madame Ristels of the world. Right. Um, another really big component of this is is that the woman herself got to determine when the baby became a baby. Um, There's something called quickening, uh, which Mm -hmm. is when the woman says she first felt the baby move. And for hundreds of years, it was commonly believed that that was when the soul entered the baby and it became a living thing. And so... the baby actually moved. Yeah, like if the baby starts kicking, and that's, I think, around four months. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if you had an abortion before those four months, the Catholic Church was fine with it. Everyone just kind of accepted it as, like, the, it was still part of the woman's body. And I just think it's very powerful that the woman and her midwife are the ones that are directing this conversation about the pregnant woman's care. Mm-hmm. So what changed? Uh, this, uh, very, so many things. So many things. This very unpleasant man, actually. God. Named Anthony Comstock. Have you heard oh, of him? Yes. Oh, I know. I know Comstock. Uh, All right. So he was an, he was anti porn. He was anti liquor. He was anti everything. He's real fat parties, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. So in the 1940s, Comstock just kind of went wild and just tried to ban everything. And uh, so what are some of the things? So it's called the Comstock Laws. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so I have it in 1873, the federal government passed those laws. But he'd been advocating for these laws to get passed for, like, the better part of the 1800s. And so it suppressed mailing anything considered, quote, unquote, obscene, which included medical textbooks that showed nude bodies. Yeah. That's like how far it went. Yep. All Medical right. Textbooks. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, sex toys were thrown in, I'm sure. Uh, and then anything that had to do with abortion or birth control. This includes both the, the powders themselves, um, contraceptives like condoms, but also informational packets. You know, like, of course, the problem's going to go away if, uh, if no one talks about it, right? Right. Um, so how does this affect um, Madame Ristel and the other women like her? Um, so it's kind of funny because Comstock actually knew Madame Ristel, and he went after her directly, which I think is why I find her story so compelling. Um, I remember that. I remember some of that. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Well, because yeah. she was this, uh, like, English immigrant. She was like a seamstress or something for a while. And then she started um, being an abortionist, and she just made a huge amount of money. She charged on a sliding scale, you know, so if you really couldn't afford it, she would still treat you. But mm, if you're a wealthy woman, she's not above <laughs> charging a pretty penny for her services. She was very flamboyant. She was very independent and loud. Uppity? Well, people called her uppity. I just think she was... Quote, unquote, uppity. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because the same newspapers that would advertise her services started calling her the wickedest woman in New York. And (laughs) I know. God. And I just think that so much of it was, was that people and probably these men... Uh, didn't know how to deal with a woman who was uh, so uh, out in the open about her wealth, about her independence, and about her her job and birth control. You know, this is well. This is exactly what we're seeing now. So we clearly are devolving. I know. Oh my god. Okay. Another. I wish I had a mimosa right now. Honestly, I mean, I had mimosas ready, and the trains were screwed up. Like, I can't not have a cocktail with this. Oh, you're killing me right now. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. I'm going to drink heavily this afternoon. Yes. Having a little grill party. Anyway, um, so... Madame Ristel gets arrested a couple of times because, you know, like, sometimes her clients do do die, you know. And Madame Ristel is good at her job, but, you know, like, it's surgery in the 1850s. So. Well, I, yeah, let's just say that sanitation and all these things are not a huge priority at the time. Yeah. They didn't know really what germs were. One of the higher-profile uh, deaths that Madame Ristel's experienced, um, a woman actually got infected by tuberculosis at the clinic. And so it's like, uh, how much of that? Oh, so that's her, yeah, that's her fault. Okay. But, but anyway, um, <laughs> so Madame Estelle gets thrown into prison. She's like, the police are starting to heckle her more, but she's still staying strong. You know, she's still doing her thing when she gets out. And then Comstock... He, she gets on his radar, and he mm-hmm. poses as basically undercover as this husband who's trying to get an abortion for his wife. And so Madame oh. Rousseau gives him a couple of pills, and he just arrests her on the spot. And at this point, her reputation is ruined. The police have just been horrible to her. Her life is in shambles. She cannot go back to prison. She dies by suicide before the trial. 
Oh. Yeah. I think it was just, just like, too much, you know. And so the reason why I I really wanted to dive into Madame Ristel's story a little bit is is that she's just an example of what all of the abortionists were having to deal with um, during this time and during this shift between something that is quiet but acceptable to, uh, like, prison, um, just like reputation in ruins, terrible social risks. So, and... Punish the women. Punish all the women. And I I think, really, you can see the parallels between then and now. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, you're telling me the story, and all I can think of is just exactly what's happening. I mean, grateful that we live in New York, where, where, you know, our legislature and governor support our rights but imagine living in oklahoma mm-hmm. or kentucky where there's one planned parenthood yeah and uh there's another thing that was happening back then that i find kind of interesting is is that during the 1800s there was an immigration boom to the united states to the big cities um especially mm-hmm. And there was a lot of anti-immigrant hostility. And um, so back then, it was, it was pre-Holocaust, so eugenics were seen a little bit differently. Uh, but a lot of the women who were gaining abortions were middle-class white women. And one of the reasons why anti-abortion advocates pushed for it is, is that they wanted these upper-middle-class white women to have more babies so they could reclaim the country or whatever. Right. You know. And um, I don't really think that those thoughts are necessarily consciously on anyone's radars now. But it is kind of striking that. Mm, that really? I don't know. Well. But that's for another show. I'm not going <laughs> to go down that road. Uh, but that is just like one more thing that even uh, sus- in a more societal aspect, we, our country, is in a similar position as it was when the Comstock laws were passed. Like, there are certain structures uh, that nurture uh, stronger, uh, like, religious, (laughs) theocratic desires, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's all men. I mean, there are a lot of women in this movement, which I don't understand, but I don't understand that at all. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, even the Pope has come out and said, we should really rethink this. Yeah. Society. It's oh. hard. It's hard. I mean, I personally, it is ending the potential for life, and it is very tragic, uh, but People need to be able to do it safely because they're not going to stop doing it. They'll just do it unsafely, and then they'll die, you know? Well, this is this is where I'm going to get up on my soapbox because, you know, these movements, these anti-abortion movements think, you know, like they're saving lives, but then they won't pay for – they don't want public education. They don't want people to receive medical treatment. They want to keep people in poverty anyway. So they don't actually give a shit about this K 
kid once it arrives on the planet. The hypocrisy is palpable. And we like we really need to look at that too. Why Alabama, the lowest in the country on graduation levels from school, the lowest in the country with literacy rates, the lowest, the highest in the country for uh, um, women who die in in childbirth. So we're okay with making the woman have the kid, but that's it. Like, that's, that's where the care stops. Well, I was reading something the other day. Uh, it was like a Facebook think piece, so take it for a grain of salt. But I, it brought up an interesting point where it's easy in some ways to be pro-life because the baby is a perfect victim. It's completely innocent. It also doesn't want anything, you know, because it's it, it's in your uterus. Like, it can't want anything. It literally has no voice, you know. You don't have to worry about it voting against you. You don't have to worry about funding things yeah. for it. Of course not. That's what most of uh, – well, not most. A couple of white men from the South have, have come out and verbally said that women are just hosts. And we're just hosts to the, they don't want anything. They just live off the woman, which is, you know, like that's what all mammals do when they give birth is that they gestate. So they need things. Even in the womb, they need, the woman needs proper uh, nutrition, proper prenatal care, proper everything. So, and proper care during childbirth in order Mm -hmm. so one or the other or both don't die during childbirth. Yeah. And I think a lot of that goes back to uh, this uh, switch from midwife to doctor and hospital care Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, so like going back to the 1800s again, another shift that really allowed a lot of these anti-abortion sentiments was was that before before then um like gynecology was entirely done by by and for women and there was certainly training but it was a kind of like fellowship internship type training um and it wasn't like medical school and so then these male doctors started to um, professionalize medicine, and they pushed women out of the field for, for many right. years. And then it's, like, bizarre because in some ways, um, like, maternal health care gets better, but then in other ways it gets a lot worse because there's more focus on, well, this is science, and we're going to tell you what's happening and not listen to your own body. And I think right. that we're starting to see that again now where uh, people are being a little too reliant on the science and not listening to the women, or at least the policies aren't. I, I firmly believe that there's, like, thousands of wonderful doctors in the U.S. Oh, I do, agree. But yeah, I, I, think that, I think as a society, though, we, we went through this whole period where 
you know, listen to your doctor. The doctor's always right, too. So, but when it comes to, when it comes to, you know, a woman's body and reproductive system, I just, and and I've been this way my whole life, a man doesn't understand it the way a woman understands it. Yeah. And they don't. And even if it's the most sympathetic man doctor who's birthed thousands of babies and has done it for his entire career, a man doesn't go through what a woman doctor would go through in her reproductive, like her, you know, gynecological issues, systems. She feels them. She's been through it. She understands it. And also, um, gynecological issues are so personal, you know? Like, even, so neither of us have had children, um, and I, uh, I, I still feel, like, I think that, like, just because you haven't had a child doesn't mean that you can't have a say in this, because you, um... Like, every month, you are reminded of this, and every exam, you learn more about your body, you know? And so, like, for women, I think the the potential for birth is, like, this lifelong presence, you it know? Is. And, for you know, for me personally, it was a lifelong fight against getting pregnant. I have my own issues with that, that I've chosen not to have them. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love kids, but it, I've been very conscious about going to Planned Parenthood. Birth control was a big thing. I, you know, like, not, it's just, it's my choice. So, um, it's, it makes sense I, why women get so passionate about, about these issues because it is something that we constant that is always in the backs of our minds. Of course. You know? You don't get to tell me what to do with my body. That's the basic premise. My body. Mine. Yeah. Mine. And I just wanted to quickly give a shout out to Margaret Singer. Um, She's been a little controversial. (laughs) She's a little controversial, but quite fucking frankly plant we wouldn't we wouldn't have the care and right on the on the cheap that we do without Planned Parenthood. So I'm going to I'm not going to forgive her for her some of her shit, but I'm going to thank her for having the wherewithal to put something like Planned Parenthood together. Well what she did was um in the 1920s, she founded a birth control center in Brooklyn that immediately got shut down by the Comstock laws, and she was one of the first lawsuits against them, and ultimately what got the Comstock laws overturned. Um, but then also, we didn't have access to the birth control. To birth, birth control wasn't both like legal and common until the 1960s. I know. The pill. All right, so let's think about this. Like, when were the Beatles around? Did the Beatles re- predate birth control? Yes. 
Okay, let's think about that. The British invasion predates the pill, as far as I know. Yeah. Free love, um, let's see. The free love movement was one group that made sustained attempts to repeal the Comstock laws and to credit anything related to the anti-vice movement. Blah, blah, blah. So recent, hippies, the Vietnam mm-hmm. War. There are, like, so many things that <clears throat> seem very current, very, like, yeah. <clears throat> new. That happened <clears throat> before most women had birth control. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Yep. And so then, not so long after, 1973 was Roe v. Wade. Right. So, I mean... I would like to point out that New York uh, codified reproductive rights prior to Roe v. Wade being decided also, just so you know. Oh, that actually brings up a good point that I wanted to discuss, and that's the idea of states' rights, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think um, a lot of people who... um, in the more libertarian camp, might want to go in that direction, which was before Roe v. Wade, and a lot of civil rights movements do things this way. Uh, state after state after state was voting either for or against abortion laws, and it was just um, kind of going around the country. And so then when Roe v. Wade finally hit the Supreme Court, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, after the ruling has said that she worries that Roe v. Wade shouldn't have happened a little bit later to build up more momentum within the states because you can't change the minds of, like, the boots on the ground mm-hmm. from from the Supreme Court. It has to be at a more local level in order for these laws to stick. So, for example, gay marriage had, like, 20 states that had approved gay marriage before Oberfell um, went to the Supreme Court. And so mm-hmm. then when it passed, the all the states were like, okay, cool, that was, like, where we were going anyway. But Roe v. Wade is so controversial because it didn't have as much state power behind it. And that's, like, what I we're know. seeing this past month. What you might not know about me is I typically lean towards libertarianism. <laughs> yeah. But in the environment that we're in, because I'm also very liberal and, and, you know, like, I want you to be able to live your life the way you want to live it. And I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't think that's the thing is states are trying to restrict your rights as a human being. And therefore, I have to now align myself with the Democrats because... Because the other side is trying to restrict women's rights. Yeah. And I I think the other appeal for doing something on a federal level, I have a friend who grew up in Florida who grew up Hmm. poor, basically. (laughs) I like Florida. Um. But you know, he he grew up around a lot of a lot of struggle and a lot of suffering and he wrote on Facebook, "We can't abandon the people who cannot afford to go to a different state to get an abortion, right. you know, or exactly. a different country." You know, like th- some of these people are probably like Brett Kavanaugh, they're probably voting against abortion rights. 
But you never know. Maybe their their daughter, maybe they themselves are going to be in a situation someday where that is the thing that they need to do. And instead of punishing them by saying, oh, well, that's what your state decided, we need to stand up and support them. We can't leave folks behind, you know? I Yeah, so there's a, there was a uh, federal district uh, circuit court decision back in, like, 08, 09, when Kansas was at the forefront of, of the restrictions. And um, the lawsuit was brought, I can't remember who it was brought by, but one of the judges basically said, you're shoving it into the, your neighboring states. And the neighboring states aren't going to like that, so you don't get to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the neighboring states were a little more liberal. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I'm all for states' rights, but but states' rights also need to be for human rights, all human rights, education, birth control, <laughs> all of these things, and and they're not, and they're just not. And there's a clear division uh, between, I mean, even, you know, Midwest, but mostly South, the, the, the religion has really taken hold. And um, uh, we're starting to lean towards theocracy a little bit in yeah, some I ways. Yeah, I don't want to get on my, I can't. Well, it's like I come from a very deeply religious background. I do think that there should be pregnancy centers that you can go to. Like, I love the Gabriel Project. I think they do really great things for struggling pregnant women, you know. Um, And I definitely think that women should understand that if they're on the fence about abortion, there are many options Uh, But I also think that if abortion is the right option for you, that you should not be demonized, you know, that that the the weight of the decision should be acknowledged by the community. I agree. And you shouldn't have to travel two states away to get one if that is just so inclined. Like, what does it say that the Catholic country of Ireland has passed? A national law that says abortion is now okay, and we're sitting here in the dark ages. Yeah, they've what had does that some. Say? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe our future is watching more women die until this gets through to people. All right. Well, just the, as a last thing, if there's any women out there that need help with birth control, or if there's any women out there that need help with uh, obtaining uh, pregnancy help or abortion, please contact Planned Parenthood. If there's people, please should donate to Planned Parenthood. D- donate to the ACLU. Uh, They're going to need a ton of money yeah. to fight these like donate 30 million ACLU, lawsuits. Donate to Planned Parenthood. And quite frankly, uh, I'm I'm willing to help anybody that needs help. So uh, find me on Facebook, 100. percent Yeah, I come, um, We have some couches for you guys. Our hearts. Go out to anyone I, who's... I will start a fucking underground railroad for this shit. I do not care. Like, I don't care. I will, I will do whatever I can to help women get through whatever they need to get through. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, 
Well, thank you for listening to Crime Talk BK. Uh, we'll have more, hopefully, on a lighter subject because, man, this just hurts my heart. Um, but uh, I thought that as a fun but on-point outro song, here is Aretha Franklin's Respect. Word. Because it starts playing.